It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Jamal Murray returns from injury this season. How can he get off to a better start than ever, even with the injury to maybe make a push for an all-star position this season. That and more on Locked On Nuggets. You are Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Nuggets, your daily Denver Nuggets podcast. Part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. Thanks for making this your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, where you can join folks with Alec Gwynn's in with us. Hey, Alec, what's up, man? Hurricane's obviously in with us, as always. Rayvon is here. Lots of folks in the chat. Make sure to turn on notifications and hit the like button. Subscribe on YouTube, and you can join the show live with us. If you missed it, if you, as you're listening to this, I did record an episode Last night, on Tuesday night, talking about MPJ and a number of topics. I actually was planning on doing this before my my friend Tony Jones from The Athletic decided to rile folks up. So you can go listen to, if you're looking for thoughts on that, go check out last night's episode. Because we got other things that are on the docket for today on a You Wednesday. talked about that last night? You, you I, talked about I them? did. I did. Oh. I was like, I was going to do an MPJ episode anyway because it was just rattling around my head. Because I did an, an, a Most Improved Player podcast on Buckets over the Action Network. And we obviously talked about MPJ a lot. So I was thinking about MPJ a lot, a lot yesterday anyway. And then I was like, I'm going to do this. And then right as I was getting ready to log on, I saw Tony doing Tony's thing and was like, well, we'll just talk about this on the show as well. So I talked about kind of my thoughts um, on that as well. I'm I'll sure share it since I was, I'll share a perspective since I was <clears throat> somewhat involved in it. I just saw the take from him online. He said, you know, Michael Porter's not an elite shooter. You know, I obviously think that he is <clears throat> and said I disagree with him. You know, he, full disclosure, he's coming on DNBR Nuggets tomorrow. We had him arranged to be on a guest like last week. I, I, I had scheduled him out. I like Tony Sorry. Jones a lot. This is not like a contentious thing by any means. 90% of our arguments online, in my opinion, Matt, are semantic ones. Yeah. Like his definition of what an elite shooter is, is somebody that can do it and has proven to do it under pressure, under the highest stakes. Like, of course, Michael Porter hasn't really done that. He's had a couple of high profile shots that he's hit in the clutch and in playoff games. So he has, he does have some of that. But if your thing is like, are you sure he's going to do that to the level Clay Thompson has done that back against the one? But it's like, no, but to me, that's just a different definition. Yes. So again, it's always just how you define it. To me, Michael Porter has played two seasons in those two seasons. He has been an elite shooter. And that's so like, it's one of those things where it wasn't worth going back and forth with, because it's just defining things differently. 
Thanks so much for taking my entire second segment from last night and distilling it into 60 seconds. Appreciate that. So if you want to hear like a longer version of what Adam just said very succinctly and well in 60 seconds, go check out yesterday's episode. On today's show, we're going to talk about Jamal Murray. Um, this was We were coming up with, with topics to get us through these dog days of the summer before training camp starts next month. Can you believe it? A month and a half and we're going to be back into basketball. But... We're trying to think of topics, and the one of the ones that I really wanted to deep dive into was talk about Jamal Murray and why it is that a player that is so well regarded by Nuggets fans, Nuggets media, honestly, the national media is very high on him. We all consider Jamal to be a very high level player, and not just because he had the performance in the bubble. He was well regarded before that and had great games after that, before the injury. So why is it that a player of that caliber is never really talked about in the months of October, November, December? Why is it that that player of that caliber has not only never made an all-star team, but very seldom, I can think maybe once, that he was in serious consideration for making an all-star team? Why is it that there's this gap, and you've talked about this before, about you talk a lot about, like, look, like Devin Booker was an MVP candidate last season. Yeah. And the gap between Devin Booker and Jamal Murray, based off of their skill set, performance level, etc., should not be that wide. And yet, it has to be at this point, given what Devin's accomplished. And unfortunately, like Jamal's been impacted by the injury, which has kept him out of two playoff runs. What has Devin accomplished, though, that that Jamal hasn't? I mean, only you know, going one round further, obviously, that, that would be it. But okay, and if that's the difference, I get it. Suns fans feel he's the best player on a team that went to the finals. I mean, they're probably right. He's he's either the best player or closer to the best player than Jamal is to Nikola. And Adam, and I would say that the all-star appearances, like that, just getting there, like it, it is a tangible accomplishment, right? right? And like Devin's been all NBA too, if you want to go that route, because I always care about all NBA more. Where than was his first, um, where was his first all Star in all NBA was it this year or was it last year? I think it was last year. I believe it was was last year. Um, I will look that up real quick while we're while we're talking. Why why do you ask? I'm just wondering. Like part of my point when I'm trying to compare those two is just saying that the last time they were both healthy, to me they were comparable players. Ooh, that's but, but one year, obviously, like Jamal Murray has had no momentum over the last year and a half. Devin Booker has a lot of momentum over the last year and a half. So that. that it's just more about extrapolating where they are. Devin, Devin's actually a three-time All-Star. 2020, 2021, and 2022. Wow. Um, he, had, uh, he has only one All-NBA appearance. So, But the point is, why is it that that gap exists? And Do you see it as a big gap? I think at this point, there's a couple of things here. There's skill and talent and... I'm trying to think of the word. There's level of player, right? If just to sum that up, and then there like tier. If we're just talking about like what these players can do, maybe that's here's the best way to put it. Devin Booker is a more accomplished player at this point, like because he, of the All Star and All NBA yes. selections. Yeah, like that stuff matters. I think does it not it to does. you? It does, but they're also imperfect. <laughs> they are for sure, but I would also say that like. This is part of what we get into. Jamal's not just... He's not bad in these first early months, I would say. But he is quiet. And Devin... It, it, yeah, it, and, consistency. Consistency is big. Yep. 
And that's a big part of this is – and now one thing that people – that both Nuggets fans and people close to the Nuggets have pointed out to me is like, well, which would you rather? Would you rather he be quiet – he be great in October or would you rather he be great in the playoffs? And that's a very meaningful question. Like that's an important one. Like you'd rather have – like that's why honestly today's discussion to a certain degree has like – it has to be taken with a bit of nuance. It shouldn't be like the priority for, for Jamal Murray should not be, especially the season coming off the injury, should not be trying to have his best basketball in October, November, December. <laughs> That's what's funny about it. He starts slow, and this is the ultimate year where everyone both expects, and maybe he should start slow. So he's not the answer the consistency thing, I don't think, right out of the gate this year. So like, here's an interesting question, and this is well put by by Brandon here. Uh, I feel like Jamal has been kind of on cruise control in the first half of the season, but as the playoffs come around, that's when he turns up, and that's I think that's accurate. I don't know that cruise control is the right word for it, though. I, agree. I think if you I think if you ask Jamal if he wants to be an all star, he'd be like, yes, like that's right. absolutely something I want. So the question then is like, why is it that he is such a different player? It feels like later in the year than he is early in the year. Not stylistically, but in terms of production, performance, and impact. I would say that he's been a much more impactful player after January is kind of when I think he starts to, to, to pick up rather than those first early months of the season. Would you agree with that? Yeah, every year for the last couple of years, that definitely was the case. So if we agree that it's not a purpose, there's not an intention there, right? And also yeah. if we look at it and we go, you know, we, we, we remember how Jokic, like, this was a big thing. I remember coming into the, the first MVP season, we were like, well, he's going to start slow. He always starts slow. And then Joker was like, or, or, uh, how about I be the best player in basketball from the very first game of the season and just do it every single game? Like, how, how about that, right? right. Like, that's, one, that's such an important difference that, that Joker's made. Now, my question would be, I guess, through the context of this discussion, before we get into why in the next segment, is do you think that Jamal can is there anything to think that you in your mind besides the injury recovery this season which is a major caveat at this point in, in time beyond that is there any reason why you would think that jamal can't be a steady impactful high level player from the first game of this in a regular season context from the beginning of the season through are you want to answer that now yeah i couldn't tell if that was a tease oh no the answer for me there's a lot of things working against him this season. You mentioned the injury, so we'll just say, we'll just put that, like, the, the fact that he might not be playing a lot of minutes, might not be playing every minute, we'll put that in its own box, which is the biggest box, but we'll just set it aside. The other one is, this team is better than the last time he played, or at least more complete. And what I mean by that is, Jokic, more dominant, I feel like he's going to be more aggressive, all of those things. Michael Porter, Aaron Gordon's more integrated, KCP, there's less needed of Jamal, especially right out of the gate. So I do wonder, like, if Jamal comes out and just tries to be a high-usage player right off the bat, it might actually be negative for the Nuggets in the short run as they're trying to, like, just win games and get to that January part of the schedule. So that's another factor here is that I don't know that he needs to score 22 points a game for the Nuggets to, to be healthy. Yeah, I think the, the discussion for this is less about the team health because honestly, I guess I am getting, I'm putting the cart 
way before the horse here when it comes to this Nuggets team. Because I honestly am kind of like, you know, they could, they kind of have the luxury of being able to have their cake and eat it too. The team's going to be so good, like you could focus on some of the individual stuff. Right. Um, and that brings the question of how can Jamal, especially through the context of the injury recovery, how can he get off to a better start? Is there anything that we can kind of point to? And, and is it just one of those things? Or are, is there a factor? And somebody's mentioned it in the comments, actually, which we'll get to after the break. And it's the same thing that people close to the Nuggets have said. We'll talk about that and more when we come back on Locked on Nuggets. But first, I've got to tell you about BetOnline. BetOnline.net's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, eSports, and even golf. I put in some most improved bets yesterday, as well as um, I, I... have to start hedging because I kind of like the commanders to win the NFC East. And then I I read the Carson Wentz reports and was like, Oh God, hedge out of that hedge out of that as quickly as possible. Um, But I'm not hedging with the Cowboys. I like the Eagles. I don't, I think the Cowboys are going to have a good season. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. From live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, they have you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. We'll be right back on Locked on Nuggets. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Back here on Locked On Nuggets. Thanks for joining us, making us part of your day. By the way, if you want to hear more from Adam and I, you can find us on Locked On NBA. I'm up on Tuesday, so I've got an episode already out earlier this week. We were recorded on Monday right after the KD trade demand went through, which Adam and I are going to talk about a little bit more in the third segment. It's me and David Ramil. I had lots of thoughts to get out because I was so frustrated with the situation. So if you want to hear me basically vexing about the the absurdity of the Nets situation, go check out Locked On NBA, and you can find Adam on on Fridays as well. All right, back here on Locked on NBA, talking about how is that Jamal Murray can maybe get off to better starts in his career, both this season and going forward. And there's one key that somebody's brought up is Rayvon in the chat here. He says, I feel like he's more aggressive from three, especially talking about how he is later in the season. And that's absolutely right. Um, talking to somebody close to the Nuggets a few weeks ago, I did get kind of this impression. They were talking about how Jamal's approach early on in the season is to set up teammates, be a little bit more of a floor general, try and get everybody going, and also try and attack the rim more. He doesn't necessarily like... What's weird is, for a guy that is, has in plain sight said that Steph Curry was one of his favorite players, right? He's and a guy that will take logo pull-up threes, he's honestly... And like he takes them in warm-ups every single time, right? Like This is a shot that he clearly thinks about. He doesn't necessarily take a ton of them in game. That might be the influence of the coaching staff. That might just be Jamal being like, well, okay, it's a fun idea, but I mean, I'm not Steph. Even though, like, look, Jamal Murray's an incredible shooter. So this got me thinking about, like, what it is that actually does change between Jamal's early season and late season performance. And I looked at from 2017-18, which was the game 82 season, right? They almost make the playoffs. Through 2021 when he got hurt. What did before the All-Star break look like and what did after the All-Star break look like? And the changes are honestly 
really pretty notable when you look at it because in reality he doesn't necessarily take more shots in general he takes roughly the same amount of shots but he does take and make a much higher percentage of threes so he takes basically 0.6 more three-point attempts after the all-star break and um he winds up making them at a much higher level he shoots 39.8% after All-Star, 33.9% before All-Star. Now, this doesn't count January when I think he's actually at his best, but I wasn't able to pull that data. Um, you think he peaks in show. January? Not peaks. I think he starts to get going. Okay. I think he pe- I think he peaks in March. Yeah. And then, like, I mean, I think he peaks in May. In yeah, April. April, May. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's, I mean, he's a, he's a playoff gamer, which is great because... You know, he struggled a lot in that Spurs series, and that was such a, a, a big moment for him. And we talked about this kind of like with Aaron Gordon the first time he's really challenged. And he responded in that that Spurs series in the first playoff run. And that helped him in the second series versus the Blazers. And then he was obviously great the following season in the bubble. Um, so what we have here is we have that he does take a lot more threes. And one thing that's kind of been reiterated to Jamal in the offseason has been that he should be more willing to take pull-up threes early in the season. And part of that is, as he's coming back from injury, he's going to... I, I want to get your thoughts on this. Do you think it's going to be easier for him from an injury recovery standpoint with the nervousness about landing on the knee that still comes for a while? Do you think that that... We saw the, the tough finish in one of the, the the summer runs at UCLA the other day on YouTube or on, on Twitter. Is that at UCLA? Yeah, that was my understanding. Was that, that was at the UCLA run. Um Maybe I'm wrong on that, but that's what I saw. Um, he was finishing through contact there. But in an NBA context, a good way for maybe for him to get his production up and his confidence is for him to simply focus on three-point shots, pull-ups and catch-and-shoot early on in the season and focus on, because there's a, a two-way impact here, it'll get his confidence and scoring going. Because once he hits one, he usually gets real hot. And two, even if he's missing... That gravity, teams are still going to respect Murray shooting those. They are. They're going to respect Murray shooting those threes. He has garnered that much respect around the league, and that's the gravity everyone talks about, which will open the floor for everybody else, which was such a sore point last season. It's amazing the Nuggets offense was as good as it was with so few gravity threats. Do you think that taking more threes, pull up and off the catch next season, is a, a good idea for Jamal Murray early on? It's interesting because the numbers you're sharing kind of bear out the, the answer is yes. And I do think in general, more threes is better from, from your guard position, especially if you're capable of knocking them down. It's funny, the difference between Jamal and Bones in age is only like four or five years. I think it's four, four years. But it is enough that there's like a cultural gap between them, meaning that Jamal was already establishing who he was as a player when Steph Curry was at his peak. I don't know how old he was, 14, 15 years old. You know, you're already kind of developing your identity as a player. Uh, when, when Steph Curry arrived, I should say, Bones Highland, all of his developmental years came watching Steph Curry. And I just feel like that you see players at Jamal's age and younger more and more comfortable to chuck and say, like, hey, I'm gunning for threes, whereas Jamal feels like he's right at the cutoff. But I think that the answer is yes. Jamal's a really good – I think Jamal's game is – in the average person's view, I think it's a little misunderstood. If you ask people, what is Jamal good at? They'd say shooting. He's a shooter. Mm-hmm. And then he can play some pick and roll. I think he's actually just a better scorer with great footwork. Like yeah. he's a little bit closer to a, not a DeRozan. Uh, he's a little bit closer to a Kobe than he is a Steph Curry, I think, stylistically. Yeah. 
Agreed. And, and, I, and I think he, people don't really truly recognize that. Nonetheless, he is a great shooter, and I do think there are areas he can hunt for his three-point shot a little bit more. Like he's got that pivot pump, that pivot pump fake underneath layup. He's got he's got uh, great footwork. His, he footwork, actually, his is footwork is extremely underrated. Yeah, like he has he has absurd footwork, and and that's not going to go away. Like that's one thing that I don't ever remember anecdotally. I don't recall ever like seeing a player get injured and then be like, yeah, his footwork really fell off. Like once right, you have right. good footwork, I, yeah. And Talk I saw about like, when he was ramping up and we thought maybe he'll play, maybe he won't, like in the lead up to the playoffs. We saw him going doing one-on-one workouts with coaches. Of course, he's going to cook those guys. But he was cooking them with elite footwork. Like he was – it looked like Kobe at an open run, you know, like where just defenders are jumping at the wrong shot fake or this or that or he's spinning around him and getting wide open layups. Like his footwork I, – I know for a fact it's not gone because I've seen him do it at least in one-on-one workouts. Right. So, and this is kind of an interesting question if we, if we put it from this perspective, because what we're talking about oftentimes, not always, not, not always, like you can have great footwork on like step backs off of a pick and roll, right? Which he's really good at. Um, but, you know, kind of utilizing some of that stuff, but as well as also just like firing up more threes, we're talking about different, it's all in the context of basketball, right? It's all basketball. But we are talking a little bit more about catch and shoot opportunities and a little bit more ISO especially if he catches the ball, kind of dribbles up, and then takes a pull-up three, right? Which is less of pick and roll. I, I do th- kind of wonder if this is something to kind of consider if... Because, um, like, pick and roll with with Jokic and him is so much... It's just butter. It's just... It's peanut butter and jelly, right? It's butter and toast. Yeah. Uh, but I wonder if in order to get him through to, to kind of this approach early on in the season to get him going and to manage the injury recovery, if running less pick and roll might be a benefit. I'm not sure on that. This is just coming off the top of my head. I don't like, know either. I, I'm, part of this is more, you know, Denver, where do you set the screen on the pick and roll? The, the Nuggets and Jokic in particular love to do screen, rescreen. That Maybe there's a reason for that, the way teams defend them. But I do think there's an opportunity to try a little bit more of the Damian Miller high screens where it's like, hey, we're going to set this at the logo. So if the defense goes you know, under, we want you pulling up a little bit more liberally. I don't know. I think, honestly, it's mostly just a mind frame. And part of what makes Jamal great is he's very comfortable in the mid-range. He's a great mid-range shooter. And he's very comfortable and actually, I think, prefers attacking the basket. And so some guys are wired threes first basket second i think jamal's a little bit more the other way or at least closer to 50 50. yeah it's an interesting question um i also think it's another one that's kind of um i wonder about this with the the knee and everything because like rayvon says i'd love to see him come in more off ball screens i wonder if that contact and that because you're always a little bit off balance when you're coming off of screens you're either leaning hard one direction coming over or you're making body contact and then that shuffles your feet or whatever like, I wonder if that could be an element of it. And a lot of this is just like, look, Jamal's going to dictate all this. And Jamal's just like, no, I'm fine. Right? Like, if he's just like, oh, I'm fine, then this is going to be irrelevant. Um, what I will say, though, is I do think that, you know, pick and roll, here's a good a good example of how to accomplish both. is just run the high pick and roll and, and authorize him to be like, look, if you have space off that pick and roll, take that three. Take right. it. You know? What I think is is interesting there is typically my reservation in those shots is I'm often like, well, look, can you get a better shot if you work the clock, right? I'm I'm the worst shots that I the shots I hate the most are mid transition, not even full transitions. Just like everyone's kind of coming up court and a guy just chucks it up. Um, I say that having watched the Rockets a lot this month, 
and seen that so many times I wanted to scream. But the difference is like Jamal Murray is the type of player that you want taking low percentage shots because he's such an exceptional scorer. And getting him back to that level and getting him back into the zone and understanding all that. Plus, as we talked about, the gravity I think is just going to be exceptional. If he if he takes those and he's pulling a defender out and you give Jokic fewer defenders collapsing in to work with, you're going to find easy buckets almost every time. There, I think that an approach like this from Murray, if he chooses to take it, because it's going to be up to Jamal, um, would open up things both for Jamal, maybe improve him right off the bat, especially right. relative to, to coming out of the injury, and it's going to get other guys involved. Would you agree? Yeah, I think that was this is the, the most interesting thing. When Jokic rolled his ankle, he invented the Sambor shuffle. Now, that's a very specific thing he did yeah. as an adjustment to a new limitation he had physically, right? I think Jamal can, in similar ways, add a little bit more comfort shooting the three as he is not quite fully comfortable attacking the basket the way he once did. If you just learn to be a little bit, pick your spots a little bit better on those pull-ups, and then when you are more comfortable, you have both you know, sort of uh, weapons at your disposal, I think it could be a way that he can improve himself through this injury. All right, let's take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about, well, we're going to get Adam's thoughts on the Kevin Durant debacle in Brooklyn, as well as there's one big reason why Denver's organization is better suited Get to hold out against the kind of things the Nets are going through. And his name's obviously Nikola Jokic. We'll talk about that when we come back on Locked on Nuggets. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked on NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Back here on Locked On Nuggets, thanks for joining us, making this part of your day. We're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, if you want to join the show. Great commentary and discussion today in the, in the comments. Zamora, who was in last night, is with me again. Hurricane, who was in with me last night, is in here again. Uh, Jorgs is in here. J27. Rayvon's with us. David Shea's with us. So many folks. Love seeing you guys every day. It's really awesome to have this community that we're building here on Locked on Nuggets on the YouTube channel, as well as the longtime listeners on the podcast. We love you guys too. Uh, someone actually sent over a really great question. I put the MPJ episode last night and someone re- replied on Twitter with a really great idea for another episode talking about what usage and shot distribution should look like next season. So after Adam gets back from Serbia with the NBR, uh, I want to make sure that we put that one on the docket. So we will get to those kind of things. If you guys have suggestions for the show that you want us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter at Locked on Nuggets. Okay. So moving on from Jamal on Monday, Sham Sharania of The Athletic reported that Kevin Durant met with the Nets last week with Nets owner Joseph, Joseph Tsai and issued an ultimatum. Hey, you either fire Sean Marks and Steve Nash or I want you to trade me. It was a respectful and professional meeting <laughs> yes, in which he asked for his GM and coach to be fired. Uh, to give I do work. appreciate that. That was, it was tasteful. It was tasteful. <laughs> Tasteful. It was, uh, there's another context that I want to point out here. Ethan Sherwood Strauss on his sub stack has commented on the fact that ESPN has not commented on the story 
at all. So it's a well, they have now. Edit. They have now. But it, it took what? a long time, and the comments are, um, let's say Sean Marks point of view sort of like this i think the headline was like sean mark or joseph sai back sean yeah yeah Yeah, look i'll also say this the idea of like that side being slanted is fair but do do you think that the nets were the ones that leaked to shams tarania that (laughs) kevin durant threatened out you think Joseph Sy called Shams and was like, yeah, no, he wants me to fire my GM and my coach. Crazy, right? No. No. This is, like, I'll just, I, fuck it. Shams is coming from the agent side. Woj is coming at it from the team side. Woj has, has connections on both sides. Shams has connections on both sides. But both of them lean one direction at this point in their careers. Um and we've just jumped the, the more important thing is we've jumped the shark that's such a big news story it could be like so how do we get this information it's not like oh we have information we should share this we should report on it it's like when and how and why and, and what angle and this or that and sometimes it can take an entire day where the biggest story that's already out there just doesn't get commented on yeah um, Ridiculous. so Insanity. so the reason i i, I want to put this in a, in a nuggets context um I put out a tweet on Monday when I was kind of venting about the entire situation, giving my thoughts on it, that it's possible. One of the things that's brought up is like, well, look, he's the most powerful. Like, he's one of the the best players in the NBA, right? Kevin Durant's one of the best players of the last gener of the generation. You know, he's earned the right to to do this and to have this kind of influence. And it, I don't even necessarily disagree with the idea of whether he has a right to or not. But I made the comment of like. Tim Duncan and Steph Curry dominated for their respective, like Duncan for 15 years 18. and Steph and, and Steph for, for 10 years now. Come on, well not, yeah, 10 years, 2013. Um, but really since 2015 has dominated the league. Both of those guys are part of the conversation in their organizations. Greg Popovich, if he was going to sign a player, would like this has been commented on even from the Spurs who don't talk about anything the pop would ask Timmy like, Hey Timmy, what do you think? And Tim would give his thoughts. Tim would say like, Hey, I, yeah, that guy, that'll work. Or, mm, you know, that happens. They've asked Steph Curry. They asked Steph Curry and the players about, Hey, we're probably going to let go of Avery Bradley and keep Gary Payton. And they were like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Well, it worked out pretty well. And the reason that this is kind of thing is, is those players, were voices in the room, but they empowered everyone in the organization to be the best at their job. Coaches, trainers, development staff, management, everybody, business side, everybody. Like that's, that's how you raise everyone up with your talent while also making sure that your views and interests are included. A front office shouldn't just ignore a star player. I don't think that that's a good way to do it. I don't have a lot of instances of that happening. Typically speaking, the the owner or the management is pretty much like, I better check with this guy so I don't get fired, right? And clearly, like that's been the case here. And I think one of the things that's important is Nikola Jokic doesn't have the championships of Steph Curry and Tim Duncan. He may never have the championships of Steph Curry and Tim Duncan because their unique situations were the culmination of great organizations, Great talent, fortune, everything coming together at once, and health. Right. But 
Nikola Jokic to me definitely at this point in his career, several years into his prime when he's a two-time MVP, to me reflects the same kind of approach and value. Like, if anything, Jokic could maybe be more assertive, but I don't know that he's not assertive in these conversations. But it definitely feels like even if Jokic is like, can we do this? Can we get me a shooter or whatever it is? There does feel like there is also a very much a thing from from Jokic of like, I trust everyone to do their jobs and I'm not going to try and run the team. And that's incredibly valuable. Your thoughts? There's another layer to that philosophy, which is my job is to win with the ingredients that I'm given, (laughs) which is like this idea of like, you know, Kevin Durant went to the Warriors. It was nobody wondered whether or not he could win if he joined the best team. Everybody knew the answer to that would probably be yes, like almost certainly. I think the thing that I think guys like Nikola and Giannis, they they look at it as the fact that I'm not guaranteed to win is the interest. That's the intrigue, is that it's like, I don't know if I could win with this group of players. That's the challenge I have in front of me. And I do think if we look back now, you just mentioned Steph Curry in 10 years. If we look at it for the last 10 years, You've got two philosophies running parallel, the player empowerment super team philosophy, and then you have this sort of idea of like, hey, let's, I, I would put Steph Curry, Giannis, Jokic in the one category. They're the faces of that movement. I don't know what other players fit into that. Damian Lillard probably does, but you know, there's a couple others. And then you have the LeBron contingent. It's interesting to see what wins out. I think to most people's surprise, you have the Warriors have two of these types. The the Milwaukee Bucks have one. Then you have Lakers and the Cavs and maybe the other Warriors team that are the example of the other one. So you have this weird mix of both styles have won, but let's see if one wins the soul of basketball for the 2020s. What's fat? I was talking about this on Monday that if Kyrie Irving misses the shot, if Draymond Green doesn't get suspended, if Andrew Bogut doesn't get hurt, if Steph Curry doesn't like just drives is able to beat Kevin Love on a possession, all these types of things. How differently we look at LeBron's ability to build a team, right? Because oh, I man. always kind of, I always kind of maintain, and like that Cavs team in 2016 was legitimately awesome because everybody played. It was honestly an all timer that just ran up into another all timer. Yeah, um, but I'll also say this: like that 2016 team was like the the, the apex of, um of those guys' careers. Like, Tristan Thompson's has never been as good as he was in 2016. J.R. Smith was never as good before or after as he was in 2016, and on and on and on. Um, arguably, you can probably say the same thing about Kyrie, you know? Um, 2017, like, this is one where uh, I'm in the minority here, and I'm, I'm okay with it. Like, I'm open to being wrong on this. Like, Zach Lowe considers the 2017 team to be, like, an all-timer. And for me, the defense was so bad the entire year and in the playoffs that I was just kind of like, I don't believe in this team to beat Golden State, let alone, like, even, like, if Golden State was mortal, I don't think that they could have oh, beat you're talking about the Cavs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, um, <laughs> getting back to what we were talking about is, you know, the Heat, right? LeBron goes to Miami, and he learns all about, like, they have structure and, an, and a, not it doesn't have to be top-down. It is in Miami, but it, it doesn't have to be. But, like, the basketball guys are on the basketball side, and Pat Riley's above everything, and Eric Spolster's the coach, and no, we're not going to fire him, and these are our trainers, right? And they have a culture. LeBron leaves, and the Heat, within, uh, what, two years, are back in the playoffs. And they've made the playoffs consistently since then, and now, you know, with Jimmy Butler, they made the finals, and they made the, the Eastern Conference finals last year, right? 
the Nuggets, I will say this, that there is there is oftentimes a reworking of, well, that the organization wasn't any good until that star player arrived. And oftentimes I think that there's like an underpinning that starts to be there that at the same time that enables that star player at the same time that star player rises. Like Joe Lacob took over the team and, and traded Monte Ellis instead of Steph Curry and got booed for it. They also traded Raymond Green. They brought in Jerry West and they hire Bob Myers and they build what is a, a like a really good health and training staff and a really good analytics department and a great coaching staff with Steve Kerr. Like all of these things were like happened. Oh, and also Steph Curry rose as the greatest shooter of all time. Right. And I think it's fair to give the play, the superstar players, the largest share of those benefit of, of those assessments. Right. But you can also say like, no, no, no. Like the organization is sound too. And I think honestly with the Nuggets, for as many criticisms as we have of the Cronkies, and I'll continue to have them, where's the practice facility, right? The organization itself that they built has been very good. This is a right. good organization. Like this wasn't a, the team was garbage, and but Jokic is just really awesome. Because there are a lot of teams where it's like, no, everyone's happy that works there. This is one of the big differentials, especially the summer league. You notice this? Jamal Murray just said he wants to be in Denver for his entire career. Oh, or I have no plans on leaving. Or Denver is home, I have no plans on leaving. Like The players, by and large, seem very – even Michael Porter. And, like, Michael Porter's family have voiced, like, hey, this organization has been so good and fair to us. And you look at – the counter that was brought to me was, like, well, the Spurs fell off. You know, after Tim Duncan retired, the Spurs fell off. Yeah, because Kawhi Leonard very had a very True. specific situation right. that I that was like a black swan event, and if Kawhi is is more like these other guys, right. which is that's fine, he gets to be like I want to play in L.A. or what or sure. be Kawhi, yeah. but if he's more like those other guys, again, the bigger point here is just you know maybe the bar is higher for having talent that are wired that way. That's I think that's true. The bar is higher for for management, and that's the maybe that's the failure of Sean Marks is Sean Marks was looking for a Tim Duncan, and he got a Kevin Durant, and those are two and those are different approaches, and one's much harder to navigate, obviously, because Tim Duncan never wanted anyone to be fired in a professional and respectful meeting. Um, but it does say that very tasteful, very tasteful. But it does say that the Nuggets are well set up for the duration of the Nuggets era, no matter who's in charge. And we, I think, you know, there's a good chance it's Calvin or and Tommy Valchettis and the, the coaches Malone or whoever. But they're set up very well in part because not only because of how great Nikola Jokic is, but because of an approach that is closer to Tim Duncan and Steph Curry than it is to LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Kawhi Leonard. Strongly agree. All right, that's going to wrap it up for Locked On Nuggets for a Wednesday. Thanks for joining us, guys. Really appreciate it. We'll be back this week with more episodes. Really appreciate you guys joining us in the chat. Make sure to subscribe to YouTube. Hit the like and subscribe button if you want to join in the chat. If not, make, and not if not, as also, get, head over to Apple Podcasts and give us those five-star reviews. Every week, as a here's a sign. Every week we get like these emails from Locked On Management about like whose ratings have gone up and who's a help us out like get us up there like we've how never, cool we've be? never won that yeah. we've never won that help us out give us those five-star reviews on apple helps us out so much if you guys can do that create other email addresses totally fine with you with, with you guys just farming this out do it totally steal a stranger's phone. Steal. <laughs> all right that's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for this episode thanks for joining us for adam Mars, i'm matt moore we'll see you guys again next time on lockdown nuggets
Hey Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.